May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am a complete sucker for BOGO deals. You know, those buy one, get one free deals. I know they're just a gimmick, but I still love them and feel like I'm getting something for free. Well, this morning's gospel reading is a BOGO deal, but it's not just a gimmick. You may have noticed in our gospel reading, gospel reading that we got two different stories in one reading. We started with Jairus seeking out Jesus to get healing for his daughter. And while Jesus is on the way to go heal the girl, the story gets interrupted by the story of Jesus' encounter with a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. After he heals the woman, we return to Jairus and his daughter being raised from the dead. This literary technique of placing a story within a story is done very intentionally by Mark a number of times throughout his gospel. Scholars have lots of fancy words for this literary device, interpolation, intercalation, and my personal favorite, the Markin sandwich. <laughs> and for many years, scholars didn't really understand why Mark does this in his gospel. Some scholars in the early 20th century even thought it was some kind of storytelling ADD. Mark is telling one story and then squirrel and then back to the story he was telling. <laughs> But, but now scholars have caught on that what all early readers of Mark's gospel had understood for centuries. They finally caught on to it, which is that Mark creates these sandwiches very intentionally for two reasons. First, Mark does this to let the reader vividly experience what Jesus' ministry was like. Jesus' ministry was full of interruptions. He'd be dealing with one crisis, and while he's trying to get that one sorted out, another crisis pops up. Mark tells the story in the vivid way that it actually happened. Jesus was immersed in the crush of a needy humanity. Over and over again, we read in the Gospels about these throngs of people pressing in on him and his disciples. Wherever Jesus went, he was swarmed by people. And this is exactly what we see in our gospel reading this morning. Mark tells us that a large crowd followed Jesus and pressed in on him. In fact, Jesus and his disciples are being so jostled and crushed by the crowd that when Jesus is trying to find out who touched him, the disciples think he's being absurd. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but they say to Jesus, Are you kidding me? Who touched you? Who isn't touching you right now? People are all over us. And you know, I think we need to give the disciples some credit because huge crowds can be exasperating. I used to go to a fair amount of concerts when I was in high school. And I remember the first time I was really pressed and crushed by a crowd. I was at this small venue in a courtyard with some of my friends, one of which was Megan. And we had made our way to the middle of the crowd, and we were so excited because we had this great view of the stage. But about two or three songs into the set, the crowd started to get a little crazy. 
and those who were at the back started to push their way forward to the stage. Of course, my friends and I had nowhere to go. And as the crowd continued to press forward, I noticed that there was a very hairy and very sweaty back about three feet in front of me. And so I started to kind of dig in my heels and push back against the crowd. Well, we all know how effective that was. Um, and before I knew it, my feet were being lifted off the ground by the crush of the crowd, and I was slammed right into the hairy, sweaty back I'd been trying to avoid. And as my face was being smashed into this mass of hair and sweat, <laughs> I have to confess, I started to freak out. Never before had I experienced the kind of mix of panic and rage I was feeling. And it took me a couple minutes to get control of myself. I recently discovered that there is a word for what I experienced in the English language. It's called aclophobia, which is a fear of a mob-like crowd. And I think it's safe to say that at least some of the disciples were probably experiencing some aclophobia that day. Here they are being pressed on by this crowd. They're desperately trying to push their way through the crowd to make it to this dying girl. And then Jesus starts turning about in the crowd asking, who touched me? Notice the disciples don't say to Jesus, how can we possibly know who touched you? No, they say, how can you even be asking that question? They are exasperated in the grips of aclophobia. Okay, maybe I'm just projecting there, but still, Jesus seems completely absurd on the face of it. But Jesus also knows how to take an interruption in the midst of complete insanity and turn it into an opportunity for something amazing. Over and over again in the Gospels, we read how he creates these moments of personal connection, individuals having an encounter or experience with him because they interrupted. In my own life, I've discovered that God is often at work in the interruptions. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with interruptions. Like many of you, there are times when I love being interrupted, like when I'm paying my bills. I'd much rather do something else. But then there are other times when I hate being interrupted, like when I'm trying to get somewhere, or I'm reading a book, or drinking coffee in the morning. But you know, I have two small children which means there is literally nowhere I can avoid interruptions in my house. It was a very sad day indeed when they learned how to open doors. I'm just saying that in my house you can run, but you cannot hide. There is zero privacy. There's no such thing as an interruption-free zone. But for all of us, regardless of our state in life, whether we have kids in our house or not, we all face interruptions. Life itself is not an interruption-free zone. And usually, at least for me, the most frustrating interruption is the one that happens when I'm trying to get somewhere or do something that I think is important. But again, when I think about some of the most profound experiences I've had in my life, they often occurred when I was aware enough of what God was doing to let my plans be interrupted. And this is what Jesus models for us again and again. He always sees interruptions as opportunities. You know, I wonder how different my daily life would be 
if I started to view interruptions as opportunities for God to do something amazing. Because I think most of the time, I don't live this way. Most of the time, I either get frustrated or just do my best to brush aside the interruption, not seeing in it an opportunity. But when I do embrace the interruption, God does something amazing. Two weeks ago, in between the 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services, I was rushing quickly up to my office upstairs to grab something that I'd left there. When I made it to the hallway, I was interrupted by John Archer, whom many of you know. And I really wanted to say, sorry, John, I got to run. But I love John, so I stopped and talked with him. He shared some things that were going on in his life, and I prayed with him right back there in that curved hallway. And then I hugged him and told him that I loved him. Our interaction lasted less than two minutes, but I will never forget it, because that's the last time I saw him. Many of you know that John passed away this past week, and I'm so glad I had that opportunity with John. I'm so glad he interrupted my busyness. And I know many of you made far more space in your lives for John to make him feel loved and cared for. I have no doubt that John knew he was loved and cared for by the people at Ascension, even at the very end. Weekly, I'm humbled by the way certain members of Ascension let their lives be interrupted out of their love and compassion for others. And John was so loved and cared for by this community. I saw it week in and week out. And I think this is one thing Jesus wanted that woman to experience. He wanted her to know that she was loved. He wanted to make her feel valued and loved by the community. That was why he fought the crowd and cried out, who touched me? Jesus wanted to love and celebrate what God was doing in the interruption. Life and ministry happens along the way. So that's the first reason Mark used these sandwiches. He wanted his readers, us, to vividly experience how ministry happens. It happens in the messiness and crush of everyday life interruptions. Ministry isn't something that happens over there or at particular times. It happens while we're on our way. Second, Mark uses these sandwiches to underscore a theological point. And you can figure out what that point is by looking at the meat in the sandwich, the story that's in the middle. You know, both of the supplicants, both Jairus and the woman who end up at the feet of Jesus, both of these people have reason to despair. The woman has been bleeding for 12 years. She spent all her money on treatment, and nothing has worked. Jesus is her last and only hope. And Jairus, well, even the people from his own household have told him to give up hope. Your daughter's dead. Give up. Leave Jesus alone. And then here is how Jesus responds. Now, first, I need to paint the scene for you. When Jesus asks who touched him, the woman comes and falls at his feet. She tells Jesus and the crowd everything that has happened to her. 
She tells about the 12 years and the physicians and how nothing has worked. But now she is healed. And Jairus is hearing all of this. He's standing right there. He hears in real time the testimony of this woman being healed. And then he hears Jesus say these words. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the meat of the sandwich. The woman's testimony and Jesus' response side by side. And while the woman is kneeling at his feet, Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Do not fear, only believe. Can you picture it? All of the events colliding together in a beautiful, poignant moment. Jesus is pointing at the woman and saying to Jairus, Look at this woman. Look at her faith. Don't be afraid. Just believe. New Testament scholar James Edwards summarizes this point as follows. He says, The woman's faith forms the center of the sandwich and is the key to its interpretation. Through her, Mark shows how faith in Jesus can transform fear and despair into hope and salvation. Fear and despair into hope and salvation. When we encounter Jesus through faith, our fears and our despair becomes hope that leads to salvation. Faith knows no limits, not even the raising of a dead child. The unnamed woman, who has only been defined for the last 12 years by her suffering, gets a new identity. Instead, she becomes a model of faith, an example for Jairus, an example for the pressing crowd, and an example for us. St. Augustine once said, Few are they who by faith touch him. Multitudes are they who throng about him. She is one of the few who really touches Jesus. And you know, the thing is, this woman had a hidden hemorrhage. She sneaks into the crowd to touch Jesus, not announcing what she's doing, but just trying desperately to touch him and get away before anyone notices. She isn't trying to draw attention to herself. She just has desperate faith. Her desperation has given her the audacity to believe. The audacity to believe that Jesus really can heal her, even after all she's been through. And I think we're all a bit like this woman. We each go through life with these hidden hemorrhages, these hidden wounds that no one sees and only Jesus can heal. And some of us carry these wounds for years and years. I wonder, what is your hidden hemorrhage? What is the place where you are most deeply wounded, where you are most suffering? What is the place where you most desperately need God's healing? Maybe it's depression or despair. Maybe it's loneliness or even a relationship that's never been mended. Or maybe, like the woman, you're suffering physically every day. 
Do you have the audacity to believe? Today, Jesus is pointing Jairus and all of us to the woman and saying, do not fear, only believe. Jesus says, believe in me, trust me, don't be afraid. Faith turns fear and despair into hope that leads to salvation. I wish I could tell you that you will definitely be healed if you believe, if you have the audacity to believe the way this woman did. And in some sense, we will all be healed. All those of us who put our whole faith in Jesus, we will be healed. But we know from Scripture and even Jesus' own life and death that not everyone is healed in this life. Sadly, not everyone gets to experience what Jairus and the woman experienced. But what I can tell you with certainty is that the only true and full healing can come from Jesus. And that the only true and full healing will come from Jesus. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're desperate for. Because in all of this, there's a larger lesson for us. The woman had tried everything in her power to be healed. The people around her, the, the physicians, they'd done everything in their power. But the only thing that could heal her was the power of Jesus. And today, I want you to know that whatever hidden hemorrhages you carry, whatever wounds you have that no one else can see, Jesus has the power to heal them. Amen? And with the author of Lamentations, we can say, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I'd like to close with a prayer. Actually, it's a hymn, technically that was written by Ephraim the Syrian in the 4th century. He was a great hymn writer in the early church. And this hymn came out of his reflections on the interaction between the woman in our gospel reading and Jesus. So I invite you to, to listen and engage and pray along with me in the words that he wrote. Glory to you, hidden Son of God, because your healing power is proclaimed through the hidden suffering of the afflicted woman. Through this woman whom they could see, the witnesses were enabled to behold the divinity that cannot be seen. Through the Son's own healing power, his divinity became known. Through the afflicted woman's, woman's being healed, her faith was made manifest. She caused him to be proclaimed and indeed was honored with him. For truth was being proclaimed together with its heralds. If she was a witness to his divinity, he in turn was a witness to her faith. He saw through to her hidden faith and gave her a visible healing. Amen. Amen.